0: the series Tide. Well actually it's the Easter journey and we're up to Eastertide for the next two Sundays and so last Sunday we celebrate that He was risen from the grave and, um, and this Sunday and next Sunday, we're in the Easter tide part of the calendar where we are reflecting on the 40 days where Jesus walked the earth before He ascended back up to heaven. So after He was risen again and before He ascended to heaven and He was walking this earth for 40 days and really He was doing that so that He could make sure everybody knew that He was definitely alive. Like just so that nobody doubted it. He wanted to prove, hey, I have definitely risen from the grave. So I'm going to spend 40 days to make sure everyone knows that they're not just seeing things, basically. And um, and in doing that, while He was walking on the earth for those 40 days, He was preparing His disciples and preparing the world, all of humanity, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and to establish His church on earth. And so that is what Jesus was doing in that time, and and um and so it's in a really uh, powerful thing to be reflecting on as believers of Jesus. You know, this week I was thinking a little bit about um, when I was young, and I used to have this like pillow. Actually, the band you guys are awesome, but I don't need you right now. but later 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 we love you we love you we love you um and so (laughs) so I had this pillow and um and it was just this little pillow thing and I don't know you know what it was about all I do know is that I absolutely adored this pillow and I wouldn't go to sleep without it. Like I was inseparable from this pillow. And my mom, she used to have to wait till I would fallen asleep to pry this pillow off me so she could wash it and hang it up to dry overnight so that I would have it again in the morning because this pillow kind of meant a lot to me. And um, what I didn't realize is the state of this pillow. So the pillow to me was absolutely amazing. It was glorious. It was beautiful. It was it was uh, my pillow, and um, and it looked beautiful. However, to other people it didn't look quite so beautiful. To other people it looked quite tattered. It looked quite stained. It looked quite lumpy. Like you know when you like if you were to like play with a pillow so much, the insides become like lumps. Like there's nothing pillow about it. Um, And so this was my pillow, and, and it was probably quite gross, but I loved it. And I was thinking about how sometimes in life we can end up having things that we become so familiar with that they become our way of life. They become what we're used to. And because we're so familiar to them, we don't even often recognize them in our life. And potentially, we take comfort from those things. But these things are not actually things that would allow us into the freedom that God has for us. These things are often things that would actually inhibit us and hold us back. But we've become so comfortable with them, we don't recognize that we actually need to remove them from our life. They have become overstayers. And I believe that today God would even illuminate some of these overstayers in our life and allow us to leave them behind. You know, just as we celebrated last Sunday, where Jesus rose from the grave and he walked out of that tomb and he chose life that day so that we could choose life. See, in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and they're basically saying, how the heck can we be that kind of person and walk in that kind of way? How could we do this? And Jesus was saying, well, actually, humanly speaking, it's impossible. However, I have come Jesus has come to this world to make what is humanly impossible possible. And what the disciples didn't yet know at that time was that that was going to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as Jesus rose from the da- grave after being buried and crucified for our sins so that nothing could separate us from the love of the Father, so that we could receive His grace and be transformed and changed because of it. And when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it says that we will receive the Holy Spirit. And as we receive the Holy Spirit, we would be empowered to transform from the inside out that through the power of forgiveness and what Jesus has done for us, we would be able to be released from those things that are holding us bondage in the tomb and that we would be able to walk in freedom. And my prayer has been that you would actually start to think about some of the things that perhaps are holding you back that maybe you haven't recognised because they are so familiar or maybe it's a struggle that you do, you're very, very aware of, but you just haven't been able to shake it off. Today, I believe, is the day that you will walk in freedom from those things. Amen? Are you ready? (laughs) I hope so. If we go into Mark chapter 14, Mark is the first gospel that was ever written. And so we're going to Go into Mark, there's some incredible truths and the message that God is bringing us through Mark is powerful and it will change your life. And I wanna start here just to give you a little bit of a backstory to where we're actually going today. And so we're gonna start in Mark chapter 14. And what is happening here is that this is just before like Jesus is approaching the time where he's crucified. And so he's sharing with his disciples that someone, as Sharon mentioned before, someone's going to betray him. And um, he's also saying, by the way, there will be someone here, Peter, you will be denying me three times before the end of tonight when the rooster crows twice. And so Peter's just hearing that he's supposedly going to be denying Jesus three times. And he, you can read here that he is like, absolutely no way not on my watch would I ever deny you, Jesus, three times. I would not do that. And so we can see the courage of Peter starting to to form. And then if we go a little bit further on in verse 43, we can see that Judas comes on the scene, the guy that's going to betray Jesus, and he walks in, And he comes to Jesus and he says to the high priest and the high council and the crew, hey, I'm gonna kiss the one that you're to arrest. And so Judas comes in and kisses Jesus on the lips. This is a big deal because back in these times, it was a custom that if you were to kiss someone on the lips, it would be like they're your equal. If you were to kiss someone that is above you, you would do so on their cheek. And so when Judas kisses Jesus on the lips, can you imagine the sense of betrayal even in that moment because he's saying, you are my equal. I do not see you as my Lord and Saviour. And so all the other disciples in that moment would have been so mad at that betrayal alone. And Peter, not only is he determined that there is no way he's gonna deny the name of Jesus, But now he is wild that one of his mates has just kissed Jesus on the lips and betrayed him. And so he is full of courage and he is wild and he is determined. And it says that he literally cuts the ear off one of the slaves as they come to arrest Jesus. And so he's cut the the ear off. He's got a lot of courage. Now Jesus is arrested and he's taken back to the high council where he's tried and all of that kind of thing and all of that's going on and the disciples kind of scatter but peter because you know he's got a whole lot of courage going on at the moment he doesn't scatter cuz it's dangerous it's dangerous like if you were seen as a disciple of jesus in that moment you could end up on the cross beside him And so it's a dangerous place for Peter to be. So still armed with courage, he's like, I am here to the end. I am not denying Jesus. I am gonna be here. And so he is in the courtyard of the temples and that those temples are the places where the wealthy lived. And so they had a lot of slaves and servants and all the slaves and servants are around the fire in this courtyard with Peter warming their hands. And these slaves and servants... Would have also been the mate of the guy with no ear. So, real dangerous. So, he's warming his hands, buying the friends of the guy that he chopped the ear off. And one of the girls there says to Peter, Hey, aren't you one of the friends of Jesus from Nazareth? And Peter's like, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna be found. They're going to know who I am. Not just that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I cut this guy ears off. is like, their friend. And so he denies Jesus and the rooster crows. And then he gets asked again, hang, hang on a minute. You're that guy. Surely you're that guy. You're that guy that was with Jesus. You're one of his followers. And, and Peter again, but with a little bit more intention, is like, no, I do not know that man. That is not me. And then a third time, a bystander comes over and is like, hey, aren't you? You must be. You are that guy. You are that guy that's with, with Jesus. I'm sure that's you. I can tell by your accent. You are that guy. And Peter now, wild, but this time without courage, he curses and it's like, I curse myself. I swear I am absolutely not that guy. And so he's now in a bit of a rage. And so he's gone from courageous Peter ready to stand for Jesus. And now the rooster crows and Peter realizes that he has just fallen into the enemy's trap. And he has denied Jesus three times, just like what is predicted. And it says he fell to a heap. He was crushed Can you imagine the shame and the guilt for Peter in that moment? He was so sure that he had it in him. He was so sure that he had it in him, that he was going to be able to withstand this. And now he's so filled with regret and shame, guilt, embarrassment, disappointment, gutted, that he's let Jesus down. And so... Then obviously, as the story goes, Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and and he was risen again. And and now we're gonna move into John 21, which we're gonna hear a little bit about what Jesus says about this situation. And so Jesus has risen from the grave and the disciples are now out fishing and they are just like, I don't know, having a little bit of alone time, maybe, I don't know. They're out fishing and they're not doing so well. And the whole scene is like just really foggy. They can't see their way through this fog, but there's this haze of this guy standing on the shore beside a fire. And this guy yells out, hey, fellas, try and put the net on the other side of the boat. And so not knowing who this is, maybe hoping that he was a pro fisherman, he puts the net, they put the net on the other side of the boat and catch 153 fish. And so they've caught 153 fish and then John, one of the disciples, looks up over at the guy on the shore and cries out, hey, it's the Lord. And so they haul in the net and, they, and they're and they coming into shore and they're coming to see Jesus and Peter chucks back on his tunic and he's coming out of the boat and, and there's Jesus on the shore cooking breakfast for the guys and he invites them to come and eat with him. And I thought as I was reading this, about how it must have felt for Peter in that moment. He's coming around this fire with Jesus, and I wonder if the scent of the smoky fire would have taken him back and that he would have relived that moment when he was around the fire in the courtyard and denying Jesus. And so now the is with this fire is that Jesus is there. And it's like Jesus has recreated the scene so that Peter gets a chance to go back and replay it out again, but this time with a different outcome, because this time he is aware of the presence of Jesus. This time he has the power of forgiveness of Jesus, and he can be released from that shame. This time, he he can act differently. He gets the power to act differently, to act in a new way, a new position out of strength and stability that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so Peter, in this moment, is reliving that time with the fire. And this time, this time he puts it right. Jesus says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. You are Lord. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter again, Jesus again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you, Jesus. You are my Lord. Well, then feed my sheep. A third time, just like when he denied Jesus a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. You're my Lord. Then feed my sheep. And in that moment, not only is Peter released from that shame, forgiven, set his feet upon a new rock, he is set free to live out the purpose that God had for him. And that's the first point that I want to raise, is that Jesus has come to restore your purpose. You see, when Peter was reliving that moment, when he denied Jesus as Lord back in that courtyard, he was denying that Jesus was God, because that would have been like blasphemy back then. Because see, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament refers to God as Lord. So to, re, to, to talk about a person as Lord would be like blasphemy. And so when Jesus says, sorry, when Peter says, you are Lord... That is the declaration of the purpose that God has on his life. Because we can read in Matthew chapter 16, where before all of the, before Peter was even aware that he was going to deny Jesus, before he did any of that, we can see the great commission on Peter's life. And Jesus calls him in and says, I say to you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church because you see the name Peter means rock. And so on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. You think that your choices have sabotaged your future. Jesus shows us that even in our failure, He can raise us up out of it and He can set our feet on a rock that is Him. And through His releasing of us and the releasing of the shame, our purpose can be reinstated again in our lives. And just as Peter was reinstated into the very purpose in the which is the very area that he failed in. I believe God would want to say to you today that it's often in those great areas of failure in your life that you would actually be purposed for. Because sometimes when we fail in an area, we become more determined to be the solution in that area. And so he often takes our failure. He takes our shame and he uses it to repurpose us into the things of God for our lives. And so Peter, feed my sheep was a very powerful reinstatement. And so Jesus has come to restore your purpose. The second thing is that Jesus has come for everyone. He has come for every single person. You know, maybe for you, the idea that Jesus is on the shore by the fire waiting for you makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Perhaps there's things in your life that you're like, oh, I don't feel worthy of receiving His love. I I don't feel worthy of that kind of relationship that Renee's talking about, I feel like there's this gap and I just feel uncomfortable about approaching Jesus. Well, Jesus came for every single person here in this room right now. He came for everybody. And so if we look back into the time of when Jesus was actually being crucified, we can see proof of God saying, hey, like, listen up, I need you to know that Jesus died for you. He died so that there would be no more gap, no more discomfort in you being able to approach Him and receive the forgiveness and freedom for your life. And so there's three characters in the Bible that I just want to bring to your attention right now, hopefully to prove to you that, yes, He's died for you. And the first one is in Barabbas, Barabbas was actually the guy that was destined for the very cross that Jesus was crucified on. So Pilate, he was like the the top dog, you know, and he was the guy that was saying to all the crowds, like, I am happy to exchange this guy, Barabbas. So he was a revolutionary guy that literally tried to overthrow the government and was like murderous and an absolute torrent, apparently, according to Matthew. And so he was this crazy criminal and he literally said, I will exchange Barabbas, this crazy criminal, this murderer, this revolutionist for Jesus, Jesus, you know, about love and about hope. And the crowd was like, crucify him. And so the story goes that Jesus went to the cross, reserved for Barabbas, reserved for a guy that was all about hate and murder, and he took the cross instead. And it's like this irony moment, I think, that God completely set up to make sure that we knew that if Jesus would go to the cross reserved for Barabbas, reserved for the punishment that Barabbas deserved, then that cross and what Jesus did on it was for you and me. And so that if we can understand that if he died for a criminal like Barabbas, he must have died for me. And maybe you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yep. Okay, Renee, but I'm still feeling that gap. Okay, so let me tell you about another guy. There's this guy called Joseph from Arimathea. Now, Joseph from Arimathea was part of the high council. He was literally the part of the crew that sentenced Jesus to crucifixion. So he was like one of those guys. And after Jesus had died on the cross, he went to Pilate and he was like, hey, I want to bury Jesus. Now, this was a massive, this was a big deal. Because see, in Matthew 27, verse 57, it tells us that Joseph from Arimathea actually buried Jesus in his family tomb. And according to Jewish custom, this was not okay. Because you were not allowed to bury an executed criminal in a family tomb for up to 12 years months. And then basically you can go and gather the bones and then you can put it in your family tomb. But until then, you're not supposed to do that. And so Joseph was saying in this act, I want to let the world know that what I believe is that he was not a criminal, but he was the son of God. And he is part of my family. And I am burying him in my family tomb as a statement to say where my heart is. And so we can see a guy with a changed heart And so Jesus died for the persecutor. And you know, the first conversion is this Roman centurion who's standing before the cross after just nailing Jesus to the cross. He looked at Jesus and he had a conversion moment. Surely this is the son of God. The first person to be converted was the guy that nailed Jesus to the cross So if that is not enough to let you know that Jesus has come for everybody, then you need to talk to me afterwards because I am telling you that he came for the persecutor, he came for the criminal and he came for the backslidden Christian like Peter. And so Jesus is for everybody. He walked out of the tomb and he chose to live so that you could choose to live, every single one of us. And the third thing that Jesus has come for is that Jesus has come to deliver. It says Mark 14, verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter. So Peter was renamed Peter, used to be Simon. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, here Jesus is warning Peter, by the way, I know that you're gonna think that you have everything you need to be courageous and not to deny me in that hour. And he's saying, your spirit is willing, like it's what you want, but your flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak, and so what Jesus is presenting here is that we need the power of something greater than us to overcome those trails, those moments in our life where we just can't seem to make those good choices, or we just keep stumbling on the same thing, or we keep acting out of that same anger or fear or control or whatever it is that just seems to stick around like that tatty Comfort blanket, or pillow in my case. And so we just can't shake those things off. But Jesus has come and died, so that when we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, we would receive the Holy Spirit, which would forgive us and release us and empower us to be transformed and to walk in freedom and walk in life and choose life as Jesus has chosen as well. You know, I remember a time where um, I had just given birth to my son. Well, actually it was was months later and um, Steve was, was drumming at church and so he was already at church and I was just at home and supposedly getting ready to go to church and that kind of thing. But the challenge was, was that I'd been going through a um, lot of like bad health in that time. And unbeknown to me, what was happening was I was actually suffering from postnatal depression. And so I am slipping further, further into this depression. And to be honest, I don't think I fully recognized it. It was like that familiarity that I was talking about before. It just started like being what, what was normal, like the way of life. This is just what it is. And so I was slipping into, into a depression and there was this moment, and I was trying to get ready for church, and I'm literally just in a, just, I don't know, like an absolute mess, like falling on the floor, like this ridiculous, crazy mess. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? And God says to me in that moment, Renee, you have postnatal depression. Stand up, put the first thing you see on, and get to church. And so I stood up. And I got dressed and I picked up my baby boy and I walked into church. And by this time, church had nearly finished. And I walked up the front and it was like this moment where the preacher had said, come to the front for prayer. And I don't even know what the heck he was asking you to come to the front for, but I went anyway. And I walked up to the front and I said to one of the pastors there, I said to her, I have postnatal depression and I've come to be healed. She prayed for me, and I literally started just crying and sobbing. It was like I cried out all of the depression. And then I was filled by the Holy Spirit. I was filled to overflowing, and I had this joy burst up in me. And I literally kind of giggled and it was just because the joy of the Lord, the spirit of joy came inside of me and I had a smile that I literally couldn't rub off for like at least 24 hours, was stuck and I just couldn't, it was kind of weird, but that was just what it was. And so I was healed from depression in that moment. Yeah, come on, give glory to God. Give glory to God. And then... I've been through another journey that looked quite different where I was in a lot of pain and grief and hurt. And the band can join me again now. (laughs) I was in a lot of pain and grief and hurt, and this time, instead of it being a one-moment thing, God took me on a journey, and it really lasted at least three years. And God took me on a journey where layer by layer, He brought healing into my life. Layer by layer, He revealed things and He healed me and He walked me through this journey of healing, of this pain. And yes, for sure, the first healing was way easier and the second healing was way more difficult. However, it was the second journey that had God had shaped my character in. It was the second journey that makes me who I am today. It was the second journey that has given me a determination to stand for the very thing that I was hurt from. It is the second journey that has given me a reinstated purpose. And so maybe for you, Walking out of the grave today would be a one step moment where God's gonna heal you. And I am so thankful to God for that. Or maybe for you, it's gonna be a many step moment that will start today. And that if you stick with Jesus, and if you make sure you have godly people in your life, if you come to church every Sunday, I came to church every Sunday because I was determined that I would be healed. And if you are a person that that's that's what it's going to take, then I want to say to you, the freedom is worth it. It is worth the wait. And so today, together, we're going to choose life because Jesus first chose life.